Okay, the plan today on a season recap episode, looking back on the Patriots 2022 season, is to actually spend as little time as possible on the Patriots 2022 season. A, because I thought that might delight you, but B, we have a lot to talk about, starting with free agents. Patriots have around 20 free agents that we're going to have to decide to stay or go. That includes Devin McCourty, Jacoby Myers, Jonathan Jones, Damian Harris. I will make a call on every single one of them here in the podcast. Granted, preserve the right to change my mind, but who stays, who goes as the Patriots will reload with the fourth most cap space in the NFL, something you would know if you've been listening. Also know, if you've been listening, that I think the Patriots would be wise to acquire a big-time receiver via trade because the market is really going to be set by whatever Jacoby Myers gets. And one of those receivers reportedly will be traded, and that's DeAndre Hopkins. That came out today, according to Jordan Schultz. We'll get into Hopkins and how that might work or might not. And then lastly, your mailbag questions. I was really proud of this. We set a record for a podcast response, at least on Twitter. There's some that always come via email uh, or DM. And I didn't get to every question. So if I, I gave you a like or response via DM, I'll push it to next week. People asking about the draft. Um, I'm not ready for that. Not remotely. This, this week is reserved for looking back on the season and me getting sick, which happens without fail. Body just gives out from just six, seven day weeks going back to mid-July. That's what's going to happen here. And then we'll get to the draft that promise starting in a couple of weeks. But the reason we are looking ahead so quickly and getting all to the, the fun stuff is because I think we can all agree on one thing about the Patriots 2022 season. And that was at least the last few weeks, maybe even going back further this season between the team and the fans. And sometimes the team and just the schedule itself was a relationship that everyone knew was past its expiration date. And no one wanted to or couldn't move on from yet. And so it just it just lives on. It drags on. You have the horrible mistake in Las Vegas where God knows how many relationships or marriages have been massacred. But having been together a while, you move past it. Okay, Christmas Eve comes up. You spend time at, you know, their families. You smile through it. Gets off to a horrible start. But then I don't know if it's the eggnog or the football on TV. You start to feel a little bit better. And soon enough, like reminder, Stevenson at the five-yard line, you vomit down your ugly sweater, and Christmas Eve is another disaster. But you still hang in there because you got New Year's. You've got plans for New Year's Day. And so, like the Patriots against Miami, there's a little flicker of hope. Things goes things go well. Okay, maybe you had concert tickets. You get upgraded, going with another couple. It's New Year, new you, new us. Okay, you're in control. But then a week later, back to normal life. Holidays are over. You're freezing your ass in Buffalo, and the Bills remind you, that they are Mr. Steal Your Division, and you are out again, not of the wild card round, but of the entire playoff race. Instead, as Miami takes your place, and you're exactly where you were, where we all thought this team would be before they went to Vegas and took on the Raiders. And here's the thing about that relationship. It stunk, okay? People in the relationship knew it, being the coaches and players, people I talked to, and we could all see it on the outside. So we'll see what kind of matchmaker Robert Kraft is, but I think we're all going to be better off in 2023. The Patriots, bottom line, this was an 8-9 team at sub-500. And lead defense, great pass rush. Really great pass rush. I tweeted about this today. 32.3% pressure rate on passing downs. They pivoted to more zone coverage the last five, six weeks. Again, we talked about this, playing more cover two and cover three and cover four, cover six, the last six weeks than any other team in the league. And mind you, they've led the league in man coverage most of the last two, three seasons. They pivot to zone and it works. But the uninspired offense coaching, 
the fundamental breakdowns in the league where special teams like we saw in Buffalo ends that season. So again, we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on this today. The normal format of a post-game episode, the good, the bad, game balls, where we need to talk, excuse me, NFL film say. We're going to wrap up with that. The first, though, let's talk about Mac because we've been talking about Mac all season and we need to punctuate this for him in year two. For me, we didn't learn a whole lot about Mac that we didn't know last year. And that, to me, says a lot more about his circumstances and that lack of development in his environment than about him. Because what we can say about Mac Jones after year two is the exact same after year one. He's a pocket-bound passer with above-average accuracy and unthreatening arm talent. Okay, He processes quickly and operates best over the middle of the field. Pick your metric. They're all going to show it, I promise you. And he wilted under pressure this year, which started in the preseason. You saw it against Carolina and then at Vegas the first time because he's just afraid of that offensive line, which had somewhat of a domino effect. Anytime there was a sign of pressure, he just collapsed. But the other things about this passing attack that were within his control actually stayed constant. You look at his accuracy. Okay, his adjusted completion percentage, according to Pro Football Focus, it was 74.7 as a rookie. Okay, how often is he just putting the ball on target, takeaway throwaways, no spikes? Okay, all of that. 74.3% this year. It's a 0.4% difference. Negligible, not. Then you look at his downfield aggression. Okay, we all know it was super high to start the season. Then it peels back. He also doesn't throw an interception while he led the league after week three. He threw one from Halloween through New Year's Day. But downfield on average, he's targeting receivers 8.2 yards downfield. Last year, 8.3. So how accurate he's throwing the ball, how aggressive he is when throwing the ball, both of those stayed the same. Interception rate was up slightly, okay, but he took uh, he took a couple more sacks, but scrambled more and fumbled less. So to me, when he's completing 65.2% of his passes for 2,997 yards, 14 touchdowns, 11 picks, that mostly says it all. But I think when you compare those raw statistics to his rookie year and they all scream regression, it's a little bit closer to the middle than what we'll see. So with Mac, I, no big proclamations here. I just think as far as any sort of criticism or applause or defense, I'm coming down the middle. Again, the offensive coaching stuff remains constant. My mind does not change now that they played a couple more games. Because as we just said, <laughs> a bad relationship that's past the expiration date doesn't get any better the further you go past that expiration date. All right. I mentioned we're going to do the good, the bad, what would NFL film stay? This is for the whole season. Okay, the Patriots lose 35 to 23. That came down to two kickoff returns going back for a touchdown. The Patriots have allowed, they allowed half, half of the kick return touchdowns in the entire league. Three out of the six belong to them. That's what that game was about. Josh Allen being a better quarterback, the Bills having the deeper roster. It was a simple, straightforward story. So for this season, here was the good. And you can find a ton more numbers, breakdowns, bostonherald.com, where I also wrote about the season as opposed to just this last game. Four guys I want to highlight. Matt Judon, career year. You could talk about the 15 and a half sacks or the 13 quarterback hits that didn't result in sacks or the 24 hurries. He was a monster. Four straight Pro Bowls, and the Patriots did an excellent job of maximizing his rush, not only just to get him pressure in terms of the alignment where they could automatically generate a one-on-one. You know, forget the double teams. We'll overload that side. You can't possibly devote two guys to Judon because someone else gets free or post-snap running him on stunts that also got him free. And then towards the second half of the season, as Josh Uche also came on, 
he dropped into coverage three times as much. And that screwed up with the protections as well to free Uche and Wise and Christian Barmore when he finally came back. None of that is possible, though, unless Matt Judon has another career, which obviously he did. Reminder Stevenson, uh, breakout star this season. He wore down over the last three weeks, as you would have heard, after that Bengals game. And I'm looking at the yards after contact going, this is not him. There, there's something up. And yes, he was listed on the injury report with an ankle injury, but he had played in Vegas. He had played probably his best game until the lateral in Las Vegas. And then suddenly this guy's a shell of himself against the Bengals. Yes, the injury factored in, but that's just wear and tear. Again, you're talking about almost triple the touches for Stevenson compared to his rookie year. And he's in the top 10 of the whole freaking league in touches, leading the Patriots in catches and obviously rushing. But up until those three weeks, you could make a Pro Bowl case for Andre Stevenson. He was that good. Um, Mike Unwenu, right guard. We talked about him a little bit, not a whole lot. He's a guy that is the only player on the roster that could have challenged Stevenson for best offensive player. He gave up his first sack in the entire season in week 17 against Miami. And it was right at the end where Mac takes that intentional sack, fourth down, they're trying to run clock. He was outstanding. And this is a guy who, honestly, I would argue, I just mentioned the sack, only sack allowed this year. He was a better run blocker than pass protector coming into the season. You might flip that now. And this is a dude who is 350 pounds, wears it, moves well. But that's how good he's been. He's an all-around guard a dominant one at that. There's been no drop-off from Shaq Mason and Mike Onwenu. Last guy I want to highlight in the good section, Kyle Duggar. Let's just list off the numbers, okay? 78 tackles, eight pass breakups, three interceptions, two touchdowns, a forced fumble, and a sack. Good luck making a list of a more impactful safety. Forget all the thumping he did against the run game than Kyle Duggar. This dude is on a Pro Bowl trajectory. And really kept them alive, of course, against Las Vegas. And then with the touchdown against Miami, down the stretch, playing his best. And that's what you need. Uh, as for the bad, Isaiah Wynn, total debacle. Disaster, moving to right tackle. He was uninterested. Um, he had four straight games with the sack and a penalty. Bench multiple times, shelved an IR. I, it would be a shock to see him back. Nelson Aguilar, little spoiler alert for the free agency talk. Uh, his numbers fell down even further from last year. I thought he would rebound. I was completely wrong. He even fell out of the receiver rotation and didn't have a catch the last three, four weeks. Johnu Smith, he had 27 catches. Um, how many do you remember? Because honestly, I watched all of them. I charted all of them. I have the routes down, the down to distance, the formation, the personnel groupings. There are not many. I could probably say half off the top of my head. And his poor awareness and route running and spotty fundamentals contributed to a lot of, as we highlighted after the Bengals game, to the poor route spacing downfield, okay? He's going to be back next season because of his contract, um, but 27 catches, 245 yards, and zero touchdowns, okay? Three fewer than Kyle Duggar, um, not great. Last one on the bad punting, Jake Bailey, Mike Polardi, according to some metrics, worst punters in the entire league this season, okay? And Bailey also capped that year with the suspension. We're not going to cover a whole lot here, um, but that hurt them at kickoffs. And the Patriots don't need to cover kicks in Buffalo or in any of the weeks leading up to that. If he's healthy, he wasn't. How much that affected them before he went on IR mid-November, I don't know. But what I know is he stunk up until that point, worst year of his career, and Michael Pilardi picked up right where he left off with very, very similar numbers, touchback percentage, net yards. I think it was around 37 just you can't have it. That dragged down their special teams uh, almost as much as allowing 
three kick return touchdowns. Okay. What would NFL film say again, real quick on the Buffalo finale? Obviously this is all about the bills. It's DeMar Hamlin. It's the vibe, all the chills that we got watching them come out of the tunnel with the flags, the kick return touchdown gets replayed three times in slow-mo. And for people again, who are new to the pod, what would NFL films say? We're inventing, you know, this fake hour long documentary in the season. How would they portray it? Of course, the Patriots get back into it. They show Mac Jones touchdown pass, Jacoby Myers. You get like six different angles of this thing, dragging the toe, survives review. He has it. Then he hits Parker. Then he hits Parker again. Patriots are knocking on the door. But ultimately, the NFL films chalks this up to the Bills are never going to lose six days after potentially losing DeMar Hamlin um, on the field. And so you see the Josh Allen plays, you know, you go to the kick return touchdown in the second half. And the Bills getting those interceptions to put them away. From the Patriots' perspective, Deb McCourty and Matthew Slater snip it to their press conferences. And you admit they have some unfinished business. And you get a shot, I think, of Gillette Stadium at the very end. Gillette's still very much under construction. And the obvious metaphor is that the Patriots are very much the same thing. And then on to 2023, when that stadium will be complete, and perhaps so, the Patriots return to contention. Okay, as promised, on to the fun stuff. This podcast also unofficially brought to you by Heineken 0.0, which has been helping me through dry January. Going well, going strong. But I got to tell you, dry January comes around at the worst time every year, which, of course, is always the same time every year. But uh, for obvious reasons related to, you know, Tamar Hamlin, among a lot of other things going on in the world. Uh, just just great, great timing. Anyway, DeAndre Hopkins. So according to Jordan Schultz, Cardinals are planning to trade him as they clean house. Um Hopkins is going to turn 31 in June. He has two years left on his deal. He would carry a cap hit of $19.45 million next season, second most among wide receivers behind only Tyree Kill. And then it's just under $15 million in 2024, when I think you could have the cap getting close to, but not right at, excuse me, $300 million. So I think that number is, is going to be until 2025. But again, we're, we're getting up there. The thing to know about Hopkins, who, again, suspended last year, Missed the first day game, still had 64 catches, 717 yards, three touchdowns. He had 96 targets. Pretty sure that led the league over the second half of the year is that he is a no trade clause. So before we jump into any of the how or the when or the why, nothing, zero, nada happens unless DeAndre Hopkins says, okay, yeah, okay, there. So he'll be involved in these trade talks, I have to assume, between ownership and all the different trade partners, which are going to come after him because the cap is going up. Some teams, particularly GMs that are a little bit on the hot seat, are just going to say, we'll spend now and deal with the problem later. That kind of mindset is eventually going to get you into some trouble, which is why I've said this for months now. I think the Patriots are going to spend. I don't think it will be anything close to what they did two years ago. And that's where there's also a hang up here because the Patriots historically, and this is our best guide, what they've done before for what they're going to do next. Do not pay a premium for wide receivers. They might surrender an asset, like a first-round pick for Brandon Cooks or a second-round pick for Wes Welker, but they don't invest significant cap space in wide receivers. They didn't do it for Cooks. They didn't do it for Wes Welker, which is why Welker left. They didn't do it for Randy Moss, even after Randy Moss set the single-season record for receiving touchdowns, okay? So they're not going to do it for DeAndre Hopkins, who turns 31 in June. Now, 
of course, Belichick loves DeAndre Hopkins. And if you didn't hear it in the press conference leading up to that Cardinals game, when he called Hopkins, quote, every bit as good as anybody I've ever coached against and drew a comparison to Chris Carter, there was a snippet, shout out HBO's Hard Knocks, which again, the Cardinals, like the, the Colts did this. Some teams have different attitudes. Even if I would be more media friendly on the inside of a building because of obviously my media experience, I do not understand the motivation between behind letting a camera crew in for an entire freaking season. Anyway, thanks to that camera crew, we got a glimpse of Belichick talking to DeAndre Hopkins before that game. Belichick told him, I'm glad we only have to play you every four years. What a career you're having. You missed half the season. Still going to lead the league in receiving. Hopkins says, I love you, man. Pause for the aw. Belichick said, you too, you too. Okay, so let's dream. You're in charge of the Patriots front office. We're working together. Should the Patriots try to trade for DeAndre Hopkins? Absolutely. We already talked about the cap space, the effective cap space in terms of they have to fill out a whole roster, you know, and you don't know who the players, you know, with all the free agents you have now, 40 through 53 might be. But say you fill those spots with at least minimum slots, the Patriots should be around $45.46 million, according to over the cap. Okay. So we talked about Hopkins contract. His number would be $19.45 million, eating up close to, but not half of, 45.46, which is what the Patriots are looking at, according to over the cap. Their draft capital, because again, if you're going to get Hopkins, you got to give something out. And the Cardinals, because the rebuilding, are probably going to want picks, is among the top eight teams in the league. That's not, you know, your number of first or second round picks or day one and day two picks. It's your total capital you're looking at. So, the Patriots don't have as much money they can move around. They might have to ask Hopkins or would want to ask Hopkins because, again, they don't pay top dollar for receivers to lower that figure. The question is, does DeAndre Hopkins want to come here? Now, before we get to that, let's look at his other options because, of course, you know, he's going to look at this in context. So, would she, so should we. I would expect, based on cap space and the situation of these franchises, that the following teams who either have more cap space or better draft capital than the Patriots are at least going to make a phone call. And those teams are, and there's, there's not a big list. Again, the Patriots fourth most cap space, top eight in terms of draft capital. These teams are better in one of those two areas, the Falcons, the bears, the Colts and the Steelers. A couple of those teams we know will pay top dollar for receiver based on very recent team history. Now, another team I didn't mention that is above the Patriots in both draft capital and cap space, I think we can rule out because that's the Texans. And I don't think DeAndre has fond memories of his last year or two there. Other teams I would be wary of, not because they have more cap space or draft capital than the Patriots, but because they're at least in the neighborhood and they can move their books a little bit better than the Patriots can in terms of prorating guaranteed or money that's flexible on their books now and pushing it into the future. If it's guaranteed now, it's locked in or if it's signing bonus, nothing the Patriots can do about it. These teams are the Chiefs, the Packers, the Lions, the Ravens, and this is my personal favorite on the outside for Hopkins, is the Giants. Because General Manager Joe Shane was in Buffalo when the Bills traded for Stephon Diggs. And he saw the power of pairing Diggs a verified number one with an up-and-coming quarterback. Say we have about Daniel Jones. I'm not a big Daniel Jones guy, but that makes all the sense in the world to me looking at the Giants and what they might need, depending on whatever the situation is there, of course, with Kenny Galladay's contract. 
So the question you need to ask before, again, we get into how he would fit in the Patriots and how much cap space do they have left and where would he be in the offense is, will they be the top bidder? Because they need to outbid most likely, or at least half of this list, the Falcons, Bears, Colts, Steelers, Chiefs, Packers, Lions, Ravens, and Giants. Okay. Take half of those teams off. We're probably forgetting or not including some. The Saints are always somehow in the mix, even though they have no picks and no current cap space, but all the flexibility in the world in terms of their future books. And we know they're going to push money forward because, okay, let's say the Patriots are the top better and let's get back to something I raised before. Are they an attractive enough destination for DeAndre Hopkins? Because as much as Belichick showered him with affection and not just in the press conference where we know that happens all the time, but on the field, if you're Hopkins, you look at this team and go, okay, who's my quarterback? It's Mac Jones. All right. Like he played fine in Arizona. And I think that impression is important in person. Mac was also, as we know, having a fit on the field, going to and from the sidelines, which is really the lasting memory of that whole Monday night game. Last year, because of the quarterback situation, some uncertainty, Odell Beckham Jr. told the world that, hey, if Brady was there, I probably would have gone to New England. And maybe it was a lip service. I asked him during the Super Bowl Zoom. That's what he said. But the Patriots are also 25 and 26 the last three years. You can't keep having these seasons 8 and 9, 10 and 7, 7 and 9, and not expect some of the sheen to come off Belichick in the brand of New England. That's three years, 25 and 26. So what is the big sell to DeAndre Hopkins? Obviously, it starts with Belichick. It starts with money. You say, okay, bring your $19.45 million cap hit with you. We'll fit you in. We'll move some other stuff around. Well, who's the OC? I mean, I'm not as high on Kingsbury being an option as some because people trace him all the way back to New England. Look, if we paired people with future jobs based on jobs they had 19 years ago, I am ready to be in line as a babysitter and a little league umpire anytime. Put me in there. I don't think that's going to happen for me. All right. Kingsbury, being the Patriots backup quarterback in 2003, does not qualify him for being their offensive coordinator in 2023. Now, Kingsbury is from an air raid system. Perhaps Belichick's a little bit more open to adjusting his system. We'll see. It's a different conversation. But the other name that I think we all agree is a little bit more likely, even if it's less than 50%, is Bill O'Brien. And if Bill O'Brien is here, DeAndre Hopkins is not coming. So between the bidders, the available cap space, and draft capital in the situation, in the conversation with Hopkins, who, again, has a no-trade clause, these are all things to consider. I don't want to be a wet blanket. I don't want to put out the embers and the fire and the excitement and the enthusiasm, but you just have to think through all of that before we get to, oh, he's definitely going to be here. Someone announced it. I think it's going to take a little bit of time and it's, it's, it, I don't think it's going to happen, but we're going to have fun and we're going to dream. Hey guys, a quick break for a holiday gift from me to you. It's a reminder that bet online remains your number one source for all your sports betting needs this season. NFL, college football, bowl season, esports, and the end of the World Cup, you'll find the latest odds on all of those, plus team matchup info, player news, game trends, all at betonline.ag, where BetOnline features live betting, free contests, and live scores for any sport or game. BetOnline is the fastest and the easiest way to bet all your favorite leagues and events, so head online to betonline.ag to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use the promo code CLNS50, that's CLNS50, to receive your reward at BetOnline, where the game starts. Okay, let's get on to the free agents. Talked about it, just around 20. 
for the Patriots. We're going to run through these really quickly. Again, I reserve the right to revisit these and change my mind. Nelson Aguilar, 31 catches, 362 yards, two touchdowns. Those will be the last two touchdowns he scores in a Patriots uniform. I would be shocked if he is back. Jacoby Myers, this is the tough one. Um, Myers has led the Patriots in receiving, as we know, for the last three seasons. This year, that meant 67 catches, 804 yards, six touchdowns, six touchdowns for the guy who just waited a freaking half an NFL career and lifetime to score his first. I am leaning 60-40 Jacoby comes back because he is on the record multiple times that he wants to stay in New England. He has the right agent to make that happen. Drew Rosenhaus, who is the same agent for guys like Judon and Devon Gottschow and John Smith, a couple of whom, not Judon, you could argue got overpaid to come here and make this happen. Rosenhaus, of course, represented Antonio Brown when that deal went down with New England three years ago. I'm just saying everything is aligned. Jacoby wants to stay and make a home here. The trouble will be when you look at other teams with cap space who might be interested in acquiring someone who's kind of a culture driver in addition to being a good receiver and someone who can help elevate your program as it's rising, I would wonder if the Texans make a call. They have more money. They could pull him away and say, not only you'll start, but you'll be our number one. Come help us build a program here, have long-term security, build your house. Here's your four-year deal. He's only going to be 27 around next year. Does Jacoby want to do that given the uncertainty around the quarterback situation? What do they do with that number uh, to pick? Who knows? But that's where you start to look at front offices that value the same things that you do. And Casario was still here when Jacoby came in. Um, that might worry me among a couple other teams. The Raiders are going to have cap space, but I think they're pretty set at receiver depending on, you know, Matt Collins for agency, but they, they need to invest in that defense. And they know that Damian Harris, he had 106 carries this year, um, missed six games, 462 yards, three touchdowns. I think he's gone. I don't think there's any reason for the Patriots uh, to bring him back. You've got Kevin Harris waiting in the wings. Pierre Strong, reminder, Stevenson is breaking tackles at a higher rate than Damian Harris and has each of his two seasons in the NFL. He's going to be 26, and he is going to be entering a market flush with starting running back. So if he does come back, if he does come back, it is on a team-friendly deal, probably for about two years, uh, at which point, you know, they'll have some decisions to make, you know, regarding Strong and Kevin Harris. And look, they're, they're not banking on Kevin Harris' six-round pick to be a contributor in 2023, but you project out and say, he'll make the year two leap certain improvements. We can trust him more in pass protection, things like that makes Damian Harris expendable. You just need to fill that RB four spot. If they come to terms with Stevenson, now we're getting ahead of ourselves, but this is the way they think. I just don't think Harris needs to fit into their immediate picture or has much of a future here where the rest of the guys in the roster, a couple years younger or three years younger, uh, obviously do. Jonathan Jones, he's going to turn 30 in September. He, in a way, age aside, and age obviously being a huge factor in free agency, is hitting at the right time. Guy had four interceptions, one he returned for a touchdown, three forced fumbles, 69 tackles. He can play a little safety, nickel, outside corner. I don't think Jonathan Jones is back. This is a guy that I think Las Vegas, again, Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler running the show out there, target in a big way. Because of that versatility, knows the system, culture driver, proven player, tackles well. The Patriots don't pay for old corners. We just went through this with Stephon Gilmore. And to a degree, though J.C. Jackson certainly not old in the physical prime of his career, and there were other considerations there, they didn't want to pay him either. Jonathan Jones is not going to command money that Gilmore and J.C. Jackson did. But I think when they look at the landscape, 
depending on what the corner market does. And it cooled a little bit last year in free agency. It, it came under numbers that were expected, including for J.C. Jackson. I just don't think the Patriots give him a deal that he should want at this point in his career, understanding this is his last big payday. And if he has coaches in a system and place that he trusts, yeah, he, he maybe he goes out to Las Vegas and reunites with some old teammates. Um, you know, Deron Harmon, for one, if he's still there at safety, I think it'd be an option. Devin McCourty, uh, he'll be 36 in August. All the, you know, no reporting here, but the the feeling you get around the building, the way he handled those last couple of games, and we'll just package Matthew Slater in right now. I think this is it. I think they head on out, understanding they just went through a bridge year. There's no guarantee that next year isn't another bridge year for the Patriots, even if they get to the wild card round or the divisional round. Like Devin's shoulders are a mess. He's had something like three or four sh- shoulder surgeries. You know, he stayed healthy. I think he's very happy to go out on top, obviously work with CBS during the bye week on the NFL today, sees all the success and enjoyment. His twin brother Jason's having in retirement. Matthew Slater's talked about retirement each of the last three seasons. I think they go out together. And if I had to guess, again, this is all speculative. Slater comes back as some sort of team chaplain is still very much around the team because he has set firm roots in New England with all of his kids in school. Though I can tell you also Devin will at least be around New England until June because uh, his kids are, are very much in school too. So staying in the secondary, Jabril Peppers, I think he's back. I, I think he understands having gone from Cleveland to New York to New England, the importance of fit. I don't think he's played himself into some big contract where the Patriots very much got him at a discount last year coming off a torn ACL. The system fit is so obvious, and I think that matters to players later on in their careers more than it does early on. You can play anywhere. It doesn't matter who your teammates with. It's about you. It's about making money. You know, I don't know if he wants to sell down his personal life, but if he's content living where he is, wherever that is around Foxborough, I think he comes back on a deal that's probably friendly for the team. And if Devin retires, you say, hey, here's an opportunity. Like our most common defensive personnel grouping was with three safeties last year. We'll plug you in with Phillips and Duggar. Let's keep this thing rolling. He just needs to play a little little bit more under control. Mac Wilson, I think, is gone. That reportedly has already been decided. He totally disappeared once the Patriots decided Juwan Bentley would be their lone by, uh, linebacker in time personnel groupings. He had a, a second half, a forced fumble, and 36 tackles. Raekwon McMillan, I think, is back. I think he got better as the year went on. He played and rotated a little bit with Jelani Tavai when they were in um, you know, some nickel groupings with with Bentley. He's a guy they trust. I think he's also someone who probably wants to find a home and, and stay here. And uh, I think they actually extended him. Uh, no, forgive me. That was last year. So, yeah, he's coming up. I think he'll be back. Carl Davis. This is a question mark. He he had three penalties and a very limited uh, amount of playing time. Also a couple run stuffs. He's only playing when the Patriots go to their base three, four defense or if it's in goal line. You know, he's someone that I talked to at the locker room clean out on Monday and definitely appreciates the longevity of his career. Doesn't know what's going to come up next. I think he's just kind of going to go where the wind blows or as far as the market goes. I don't think the Patriots move on him immediately unless he wants to stay. He is happy in New England. Structure of the program is very something uh, very similar to what he endured at Iowa, which look that's a long time ago in college. But he's drawn that parallel as he did in 2020 when he got here. Then when we were chatting in his locker on Monday. So I think it's something he appreciates kind of the, the structure and the, the discipline, the rigidity, let's just call it, of, of the Patriots program. Matthew Slater said he's going to retire. Daniel Ekwale, I think he gets paid elsewhere. It's really good, surprisingly good as an interior pass rusher and a run stuffer. He had three run stuffs this year 
which is, like I said, is right up there uh, with just about anybody else. Also had a pass breakup. I think you see some four down team, you know, a la the Jets. I'm not saying necessarily the Jets, the Colts, um, you know, Houston until we'll see what they do post Lovey Smith that you plug him in a defense tackle on third down and you just let him go to work. Isaiah Wynn gone. Yanni could just, I think they'll offer and bring back. He's a known commodity. You can never have too many offensive tackles. He got benched for Connor McDermott. I think they would love to have Connor McDermott back. McDermott's 30. They were, I think Belichick said, quote, thank God they had Connor McDermott uh, at a press conference in the last couple of weeks. He'll be back. Could just, I think, too, at least to give him a shot. Marcus Cannon, I think, is done. Uh, he had a concussion. Never came back this season. Joe Cardona, rock solid. Did have two false start penalties, which you don't really see from long snappers. He'll be 31. James Ferentz, look, the Patriots are always going to pick up the, the phone for James Ferentz. He's not going far. If he's playing in the league, it'll be in New England. This could be a case where they call him in October. I think, sure, we'll see him at some point in 2023, uh, but right away, probably not. Joan Williams, as we round out here with some special teamers and some exclusive rights for agents. I don't think Juwan Williams is back. I think he'll get a tryout with the team um, maybe later in the summer. He's dealing with injuries. The fit just isn't happening. It's not working. The Patriots have given him more than a shot. They've replenished their corner depth with Marcus Jones and Jack Jones and Jalen Mills. That's if Jonathan Jones doesn't come back. And of course, they could go back in the draft. I just don't see it. Cody Davis is a little tougher one than you would think. He's 34 you would say, oh, you don't need the special teamers. And then you remember, again, we're special teams in the league. Uh, Belichick, though, was over the top in his praise for Cody Davis. I think they gave him a one-year deal to come back post-injury. He had six tackles in six games. He's only 34. I think they can make it work. Michael Pilardi, replacement punter, gone. Christian Wilkerson, Quinn Nordine, exclusive rights for agents, meaning they're basically going nowhere. But I have to include them in the list because it says they're free agents. I think they get flyers. And Quinn Nordine, depending on his development, uh, should certainly give Nick Folk a run for his money in training camp next year, but we'll see what happens uh, with him. Miles Bryant is their only restricted free agent. Yes, I think Miles Bryant is back. He's the kind of player they really value. Uh, one interception, 70 tackles for Miles Bryant, who was a pain in my ass um, <laughs> trying to chart all the defense because he would snap, he would flip between nickelback and safety so seamlessly mid drives. And I'm trying to chart: is this three safety nickel? Is it three cornerback nickel? But he's a smart guy, the exact type of player that you value. And I think so long as Miles Bryant is somewhere between the 43rd and 53rd player in the roster, you're fine. Starting corner, as he's been the last couple of weeks, even a nickel, not great. If Marcus Jones takes that nickel job, I think they're in great hands. But of course, it just depends on who's outside, uh, which is a question for free agency and beyond. Okay, let's get to the mailbag questions and get out of here. We have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. So like I said, about half of the questions, if I didn't get to you here, then we will shortly soon. I tell you, know, it's getting late because I just said shortly soon. Uh, the redundancy is, is strong with this one. Okay, Chris on Twitter says, how quickly do the Patriots make a move for an offensive coordinator? They don't have a lot of time to wait around, and I'm assuming Kraft won't want to either. This, of course, depends on their targets. I have no doubts that Belichick has been at least thinking about, before he goes to bed, those type of options during the season, or at least on his drive home. We've all been talking about Bill O'Brien for over a month. If I had to put odds on this, and I'm not going to give you an exact number, but I would say I would take the field at this point over Bill O'Brien. And this is something that I have pivoted on recently. But I think, as I think we discussed 
last week, it has as much to do with O'Brien being in the building and perhaps a threat to Belichick as his successor as Belichick wanting to lead the franchise exactly as he wants with his son still on staff. And I'm not sure that happens with O'Brien. O'Brien also is someone that is very different from the person who came into the building 10, 12 years ago, you know, cycling through the Penn State job and down to Houston, had issues with players there, then goes to Alabama. It doesn't seem Alabama's offered him a contract extension. I know the fan base isn't all hot over Bill O'Brien right now, but if it's not Bill O'Brien, then I think the Patriots are really sifting through their options. And I understand there's some sort of urgency as you see all these interviews. But as we know, it's always more complicated in New England than sometimes it needs to be. And that's because of titles, where if this becomes an official offensive coordinator, the Patriots are going to have to adhere to the Rooney rule. Interview X amount of minority candidates, same for the quarterback's coach job, if that's uh, going to shift away from Joe Judge. And so there, there's a lot in play here. I don't know how quickly it is. I would say probably by the end of the month. Um, but again, it's the Patriots. You might bring in a coach as a senior offensive advisor, and they take the de facto OC role away from Matt Patricia, who gets moved to defense if, let's say, Gerard Mayo leaves, which we don't know if that will happen. But those are all the things in play here. So I would give this a little bit of time and not expect an instant answer because the Patriots are going to parse through this and then also check all the boxes they've added to the list because they want to do it their way uh, as opposed to adhere to certain league rules and restrictions. The Waterboys pod on Twitter writing in, what specific players should the Patriots target in free agency slash trade market? Mike McGlinchey at right tackle would make a ton of sense. I agree. Mike McGlinchey is about the only elite offensive tackle still scheduled to hit free agency. Now, that is good news if you were running the Patriots Madden. You just give him as much as he wants and you sign him. That's bad news for the Patriots in real life because they're going to have a lot of bidders, of course, for Mike McGlinchey, who's going to be in his mid-20s, playing very well for San Francisco, um, and I think is a player who you know is well-regarded both as a pass protector and as a run blocker. So you don't have any immediate concerns there. And the Patriots will pay for offensive tackles. It's just how high does that price get? So if you're the team like the Texans or the Bears, who I think are about to set a record for amount of cap space in an offseason um, – Maybe they throw a bag of Mike McGlinchey and he just goes to Chicago and doesn't give two thoughts about it. So uh, beyond that, we'll have a list of players coming up in this podcast. This is more about in-house free agents. Um, the receiver market, I can tell you, is pretty depressed. Jacoby Myers might be the best receiver there. So again, they're going to go via trade. I think if they're going to add a big name um, positionally, I think they would probably go back into the draft for a corner because you've got two there that are up and coming. You can afford to buy some time to let someone else develop or maybe add one sort of veteran. But it's it's a little tricky because, of course, Jack Jones, as we've seen with the suspension, is not someone you trust entirely with his decision-making. So we'll see. I think it's easier to say positionally they should target McGlinchey or guys like him in free agency. The problem is, as I mentioned, he's the only one still in that category. So I say yes. It's just going to be, of course, a matter of price. Uh, AJ, what does Mac need to work on most in the offseason? Um, this is tough because, again, I, I don't think we know a whole lot more about Mac in year two than we did in year one. And his mechanics, for the most part, save for the Raiders game, are pretty clean. I think the arm talent isn't going to change a whole lot if his mechanics won't and shouldn't, frankly. So then you're talking about things like throwing off platform or performance under pressure. And I think those things are areas where he could really work on. I mean, some areas he's already elite in terms of touch passing, accuracy over the middle, you know, the decision-making at some point, you just are who you are. It can get better, but 
I, he's been really stable in that department, senior year of college and first two years in the NFL. Some, of course, are boneheaded mistakes. Everyone has them. But his interception rate, turnover-worthy plays in pro football focus, 2.7% this year, 2.5% last year. I really look at the performance under pressure and the off-platform throws. So those throws on the run, those throws falling back, what can he do to elevate himself there? Because those are the areas of the game that either this season were really lacking in terms of under pressure or just overall, when you look at the gap between him and the guys in the fringe top 10 and then inside the top 10 can kind of create on their own with those type of throws. Uh, Scott wants to know, the NFL schedule seems to favor having the Patriots at home for games during the holiday season. Since 2016, Scott, that is research, there has only been one game played on the road during this time, way back on New Year's Day after the 2016, 2016 season. What gives? Um, uh, I lobby the league personally every year to be at home for Christmas Eve and New Year's Day. No, I uh, I don't know, Scott. I, I think these are one of those things that we look at and attribute some sort of reason to in reality. There's randomness. I mean, you go through the NFL schedule every single year and the disparity from a competitive um, you know, equity standpoint. There, there, there's just huge holes where teams like the Patriots are facing uh, you know, four opponents coming off of a longer week than they are. But the Patriots have to travel 2,000 miles more than the Jets. You know, like these things have a way of happening where they can't align everything in the schedule to be equitable or reasonable. And over this stretch, of course, it's probably better for the Patriots to be home over the holidays. But I don't, I don't think there's anything really to it. If you moved it back from 2016 to 2012, I'm sure this would balance out a little bit more, maybe 2008. And the Patriots have just gotten lucky. Um, it also probably, you know, if you look at at least this year, three of their first four games are on the road. So the back half of your schedule is going to be backloaded uh, with home games. Um, and you go back to 2020. I know the home opener was uh, in 19. Both of those were at home. 18 was too. So this is kind of hurting that argument. But you get my point. Like at some point, the home games have to come. It looks like the Patriots have just gotten lucky. And if you look through the first half or four games of those schedule, you know, you're, you're running out of away games to slot in the back half. Uh, of the schedule good band dash c i have no idea what that stands for uh who do the patriots miss the most this year josh mcdaniels dante scarnecchia or ernie adams i'm going to rule out ernie adams ernie adams uh as far as the jobs that we know that he did still shrouded in mystery two years into retirement in 2020 not making the best um challenge suggestions to belichick who really struggled in those areas uh, that season. So as far as the on-field measurable performance of Rudy Adams, not a whole lot. Dante Skarnecki and Josh McDaniels is really tough because, of course, both of their jobs were replaced by Matt Patricia. I'm going to go big picture here and just say Josh McDaniels, not because I think he elevates the offense in a way that would have made it totally different. The talent is the talent. I think, of course, you'd love to have Dante Skarnecki, one of the greatest assistants in NFL history, but this offense lacked direction. It lacked purpose. It lacked an identity. And I think for an experienced offensive coordinator, A, Josh is going to bring that to the table, and B, he's going to bring a lot of problem solving. I said this on the podcast before the season started. What they're going to miss is what Josh McDaniels missed when he first took this job. And it's the wealth of experience that tells you when this happens, you can solve it that way. Or when this crisis arises within the offense or receivers are asking for targets, this is how you handle them. You know, that's the reason the Patriots got pantsed and let's just talk about Super Bowl 42 against the Giants 17-14 they didn't have a solution for all the pressures Brady and McDaniels are going back and forth 
Years later, they can say, hey, we did this in that game in 2008 or 9 or 11 or 12, okay? Patricia doesn't have all of that experience to lean on as a problem solver. I think for all the things that did come up for the Patriots, um, having McDaniels at the top would have a trickle-down effect to certain assistants and the way they want to run things, eliminate some of those problems, and he would have better solutions than they did where a lot of these games, you know, A, the game plans were bad, but the the lack of in-game adjustments in the back half of the schedule hurt them just as much. All right, let's roll through the last three. Paul says, uh, will the Pats go after a shutdown corner in the offseason, free agent or draft pick? Like I said, I think it's more likely to be a draft pick than a free agent. S2015, it sounds like the Pats will be spending money this year. What is the biggest position of need they can fill through free agency? We already hit on this, the position and the name. It's offensive tackle. Again, Isaiah Wynn was an unmitigated, uninterested disaster. Okay. Six sacks allowed, uh, eight or nine penalties. And that's a guy who didn't finish the season. Okay. Second worst in both of those categories, by the way, to Trent Brown, who again took 12 penalties and I think allowed eight or eight and a half sacks, but at least was out there. Okay. And could spread out those penalties and sacks and hurries allowed and a couple of run stuffs over the entire schedule, Isaiah Wynn just, just can't happen. So Mike McGlinchey would be the name to know. We'll have a couple more uh, in the next podcast at BB's burner. Hello, Bill uh, wants to know what is our biggest need for next season? Our biggest need being uh, the Patriots it's offense tackle and an offensive coaching really again it goes back to patricia and judge we're not going to belabor this i've said it before it's not interesting it's not fun we can all see it same thing as i led with the relationship it's past his expiration date at least the season over but they need a new system not a new system i take that back they need a new leader of their offensive staff in place of in terms of matt patricia and on the field they need new players at offensive tackle because it's just not good enough and you you watch if you watch the season you know that and that's that's exactly what it is. There are other areas of need. Maybe you disagree, um, but you're wrong. So <laughs> that'll do it. So next time we're back, we'll have the mailback questions I did not get to. We will also have a guest, take a little peek at free agency. And uh, I think we're mostly done with the 2022 season. We might parse out a couple more things, but otherwise we are looking ahead and expect more news on the coaching front to come in the next couple of days and hopefully some uh, broken by yours truly. Until then... We'll see you next time.